I'd like to do something this morning that I don't normally do. I'd like to preach a sequel message to the previous sermon I gave in chapel. Some of you may remember that last time I talked about this idea of the temple or the tabernacle, and there were these moments in the Old Testament where God's glory would physically manifest and sort of drape over the tabernacle or drape over the temple in a very real, physical way. Usually when that happened, there was this progression we talked about that you can glimpse in the Old Testament. The progression is that that tends to happen at the temple when the covenant between God and his people is rightly ordered. And so when the temple is rightly ordered and the covenant is set in place, God is sending his glory. He's sending that blanket over his dwelling place as a confirmation. He's saying, hey, this is really right. And all throughout the Old Testament, when God sends glory, we said the consistent response of the people is to fear the Lord. Most often that fear of the Lord, they show it by falling face down. It's this mixture of great celebration and great fear. We're going to continue that trajectory this morning into the New Testament. And so right now as we do that, will you just bow your heads for a second and close your eyes? Take the next few seconds and just invite the Lord to speak to you this morning. God, thank you so much that your word is alive. God, thank you so much that you long to speak to us. God, this morning, would we, your people, be receptive to your scriptures? Would we not just hear the written word on the page, but would you give the rhema word, the internal word, to our hearts? God, we pray your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. This is from Matthew chapter 17. The words will also be on the screen for you to follow along. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from that cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes Say that first, Elijah must come. He answered, Elijah does come and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. 
And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. After six days is the first phrase in this passage. So this is six days after the book of Matthew has taken a pretty key transition and Jesus starts to predict his sufferings and his death. They walk up this mountain and as they get there, they have this transfiguration moment where there's all this light shining and Jesus is at the center of that light. Now that's really important because to a Jewish reader, that right there would initiate a whole lot of memories of the Old Testament. I mean, bright lights with the figure of a man at the center, that sounds a whole lot like the book of Ezekiel. That's a whole lot like the book of Daniel. I mean, this sounds very, very familiar to them. And as Jesus is shining, these two figures, Moses and Elijah, step next to him. Moses established this. He's the guy that initiated the covenant at Mount Sinai. Elijah is the great prophet in the Old Testament. When this whole progression was broken, he called the people back to them. Moses and Elijah are also the two individuals in the Old Testament to whom God's glory appeared personally. Moses in Exodus chapter 33, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. I mean, these guys are like pillars of the covenants in ancient Israel. And the Bible says this bright cloud overshadowed them. I mean, we're talking very explicit reference to Old Testament God's glory being revealed. The same Greek word that was used in the Old Testament to translate it into Greek when they talk about the glory of God overshadowing the temple, same Greek word used here. I mean, guys, in every way, this chapter is the New Testament sequel to Old Testament glory. So uh, within my friend group, there's like half of us that are diehard Lord of the Rings fans. And we know everything about this. Like, I could tell you all the backstory, everything that's going on. The other half of my friend group is completely clueless as to what that meant, okay? So just to give you some background, if you don't know anything about this, up until this point... It would be fairly easy in Lord of the Rings if you didn't know the backstory to not really get who Gandalf is. Like you kind of know he's special. You know he's powerful. You're not exactly sure why. Like, okay, is this guy like a king? Is he a warrior? Like, who is he? This is kind of the first moment where there's this full access moment where Gandalf's like, hey, I'm the white wizard. Like, I'm the leading authority in good magic in Middle-earth and in defending our place from evil. When I see that, I think of the transfiguration. I really do, okay? It's this moment where Jesus, there's all this confusion of who Jesus is. Is Jesus a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is he Elijah? And there's this very clear moment where Jesus throws back the gray cloak and is like, hey, this is who I am. Like, this is the fullness of my glory. And guys, in culture, we're so obsessed with those full access moments. Like, we want these moments where a magazine gives us the behind the scenes on this, like, author or, like, a sports star. This moment in the transfiguration is super significant, especially when you think about Old Testament access to God. When Moses built the tabernacle... God gave him very specific directions to create an outer court, an inner court, a holy place, and then to put up a curtain. 
Okay, that curtain was a really thick cloth with angels and cherubim woven into it. And the purpose of the curtain was to keep you, the average person, from being able to see beyond into the glory of God, which would appear over the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. Some places called that curtain a veil. The purpose of the veil was to keep you from seeing God's glory. So in this passage of the transfiguration, it's a full access moment. Jesus is pulling back the veil to Peter, James, and John saying, hey, this is who I am. Don't ask questions anymore. This is the fullness of my glory. But my question for that is, Jesus, why did you do that to three guys? You just spent 16 chapters in the book of Matthew trying to prove that you are who you say you are to this crowd. Why didn't you give them full access? Why didn't you just transfigure in the middle of the feeding of the 5,000, solve this thing, and go home? There's a passage in the book of John that I find so fascinating. Jesus performs his first miracle at Cana in Galilee, and the Bible says this. This first sign, which Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Hold up. Don't miss that. Let me say that again. This, the first of the signs which Jesus did here at Cana in Galilee, was the first sign by which he revealed his glory. Guys, do you know theologically what miracles are? Miracles are snapshots of glory. Miracles are these moments where the Spirit of God just pulls back the veil just for a snap second and you see what's going on in the most holy place behind the curtain. So the feeding of the 5,000, when the leper gets healed, all these crazy moments, every time Jesus did a sign, he was revealing glory. And so there's this progression that I see that comes out of that that's kind of similar to this Old Testament progression, but it's different. Every time Jesus did a miracle... It was a revelation of glory. The purpose of him revealing his glory was to build faith in his disciples. Faith not just in what Jesus can do, but in the person of Jesus, a faith in his being. He is the son of God. Those miracles were stepping stones to build their faith to get them ready for a Matthew 17 type moment, for a transfiguration type moment where God doesn't draw back the veil a little bit, but he completely unveils himself in the fullness of his glory. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, I had a friend named Brittany who came and visited for one of our Awaken United services. And uh, Brittany and I went to college together. And way back in the day, I was a spiritual leader for a ministry called Altar at Indiana Wesleyan University. Uh, she was a spiritual leader for a ministry called WCF that stood for World Christian Fellowship. Both our ministries partnered together quite a bit during our time in college. And I just want to say this. When we were freshmen at this school, we saw God do some incredible things. I vividly remember a summit experience where there was a girl that was standing about here that had a broken leg. Okay, had a broken leg, was literally worshiping up front with like a walker. She gets prayed over. She gets healed. She's like screaming and shouting my freshman year. Everybody's like, what's going on? I mean, cool stuff was happening. And Brittany's group was often really, really involved in these moments, moments where God would draw back the veil. We'd see a sign. Somebody would get healed. 
Two weeks ago, Brittany asked me the question, Garrett, do you know what's happened to a lot of my leadership team members since college? Do you know what those people that were leading Wesleyan Christian Fellowship, World Christian Fellowship, do you know what they're doing now? Said, I have no clue, Brittany, what are they doing? Many of them are not walking with the Lord. She said, some of them are atheists now, Garrett. I want to speak to you guys a word for our campus. You are responsible for the revelation you receive. Jesus revealed his glory to the crowds. He gave them snapshots of who he was, the feeding of the 5,000, making the blind man see. I mean, he had given them this, but because they were not faithful with these small revelations to allow them to build their faith, they weren't ready for this. They weren't faithful with the revelation of God's glory they had already received, so why would God invite them into more? Guys, I have a fear for this campus. It's that we have so abundant number of moments where God has revealed himself. Summits, chapels, are you kidding me? We have more of that than any campus I know of. We have so many times God has drawn back the veil and said, Indiana Wesleyan, here I am. But do you realize that increases what we're responsible for? We will be judged accordingly because if we mess this up, Jesus will say the same thing to Indiana Wesleyan University. He said in the New Testament, woe to you, Karazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you were performed entire and sighted, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Woe to you, Capernaum. You'll be lifted up to the heavens? No, you're going to hell. Why? Because if the miracles that were performed in you were performed in Sodom and Gomorrah, They would have repented long ago, but it'll be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. The word from the Lord is, if you get a snapshot of God's glory and you don't deal with it and steward it well, the result is judgment. Friends, it would have been better off for some of my and Brittany's friends in college to have never been part of that. I'm just being honest. It would have been better off for us to have never had Chapel Indiana Wesleyan, for Awakened Ministries to have never been planted here, for Summit to have never existed, than for us to have seen glimpses of the glory of God and not steward them well. God, I just pray that right now for everybody in this room that you would bring to mind moments in the past where we saw your glory. God, in this passage, Peter said, he, he said, Jesus, I want to set up three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Jesus, Peter didn't want to leave. God, I pray all across this room, you remind us of some time in the past where we were so in your presence, we were so in your glory, we did not want to leave, that we were just glued to that place. God, help us to be faithful with the revelation we've received from you.
In Jesus' name, amen. A couple years ago, I, uh, I had a friend who came over to my house every day. And uh, this friend would knock on the door and say, hey, Garrett, can I come in, hang out? Absolutely, man, come on in. 24 hours later, come right back. Hey, Garrett, can I come in, hang out? Absolutely, man, come on in. This went on for about two weeks. Okay, so every day, the same friend comes to the door, knocks at my house, I let him in. There comes a day where I come to the door of my house, open it, and he's already inside. Okay, he's waiting for me. And there's this moment of like, hey, bro, like, what's up? Well, he had knocked so many times for two weeks, didn't feel the need to ask for permission. And I was totally cool with that. So in this season of life, like, I would walk up to the door of my house and be like, he's probably in the house. Like, this is just normal at this point. And I would expect when I came home that I wasn't going to be the only person there. Guys, your spiritual walk is a lot like a house. And there come moments where something walks up to the door of your house and it knocks and it wants in and you let it in. And 24 hours later, the same thing comes back and knocks. And if you open the door and let it in and let it in again and let it in again, for about two weeks, there comes a day where it doesn't need permission. It's walked in so many times, it's become normal for you. You walk into the spiritual house of your life and you expect that thing to be there. So let's just say, for instance, that the spirit of pornography, the spirit of lust, walks up to the door of my house and I let it in. Or let's say the spirit of comparison to somebody else walks up to my house and I let it in. Or the spirit of pride or the spirit of fear. If any of those things are repeatedly welcomed into the house of my spiritual walk and given permission to be there, one, it becomes normal. Two, there comes a day where I walk down the stairs of my house and I ask it for permission. Hey, bro, are you cool if I get in the fridge? Hey, can, can I sit on this couch? Garrett, what are you doing? This is your house. But the definition of a spiritual stronghold is there's been a transfer of authority. I've welcomed something in so many times. I've given it permission so many times. I don't have to let it in anymore. It has the keys of the house. I don't. The greatest struggle and symptom of all spiritual strongholds is a veil. When I have welcomed into the house of my life a spirit other than the Holy Spirit, it blinds me from seeing the miracles of God in my life. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he said the minds of unbelievers have been blinded by what? The God of this age. A different spirit other than the Holy Spirit. And that God has blinded them to prevent them from seeing the glory of God revealed in Christ. Strongholds in my life keep me from seeing God's glory. And I'm going to say this, and this is bold to say, but I'm fine with it. I believe the reason we're not seeing the glory of God revealed in places like Indiana Wesleyan, in places like the American church, in the big picture, is because in some places we are grieving the Holy Spirit. We're grieving the Holy Spirit in three ways. One, on an individual level. Two, as a campus or a local church. Three, in the broader church of America. In your own life, I can't tell you what that looks like. Maybe you've invited the spirit of lust, pornography, comparison into your house, and it's running the show, not you. I don't know. I think I have a word for Indiana Wesleyan University with that and how we could be grieving the Spirit. I'm not going to share that today. Over here, though, I will speak to this. I believe in the church in America, this veil is complacency. 
But here's the thing, y'all. Complacency is never an original spirit. It's a symptom spirit. It walks in the door of your house right alongside another spirit. Complacency is a symptom of the spirit of pride. What does pride say? I don't need God. I mean, is that not what we're told in America constantly in our Western world? Some of us look at this idea of the glory of God and we're like, yeah, that'd be nice, but I don't need it. That'd be luxurious, but that's like dessert. Like I can have it, but I don't have to. Like if that's your attitude, you have a spirit of pride in your life. Somewhere in your life, you've let in a spirit that says you don't need God. And complacency walked in the door of your house with that, boom, veil. Can't see the glory of Christ. I'm headed for judgment. But I love this. I love this. Can we just celebrate there's hope in the gospel? There's hope in the word of God? Check this out. Just a couple verses before that in 2 Corinthians. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of God and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. I don't know what your theology says. My theology says this. If I've invited a different spirit other than the Holy Spirit into my house and because of that there's a veil, that veil is removed in the name of Jesus when the spirit of the Lord becomes Lord again of my house. So literally guys, if you wanna see the glory of God revealed, step one is take back your house. Like give the spirit lordship in your life again and say, hey, spirit, I'm sorry I've submitted my mind and my ways to this other spirit. I give you this back. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Growing up, uh, I had a really big family on my mom's side. And so every Thanksgiving, we'd go to grandparents' house and uh, grandpa started this tradition where he would get a really big uh, wagon, big wooden wagon. He would pull it behind a tractor and he had these cornfields that were around his house. And so he'd take us on a big wagon ride on these cornfields. Cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody piled in the wagon. But sometimes on Thanksgiving, it'd be really rainy. And so the ground was really wet. And so if that was the case, grandpa would put the wagon on the tractor and would pull it around the field a couple times without anybody in it to first create some ruts in the ground. So there was kind of a pattern of where he could go so when everybody got in and the wagon got really heavy, it'd be more easy to guide the wagon in the right way. When you've invited a different spirit other than the Holy Spirit into your life, the primary thing it does is it hijacks your mind. So it creates ruts in the thought patterns of your thought life where you automatically default to because it's just so well-formed. It's like I've literally lusted for so long, lust is just the default. There's ruts in the ground of my mind. My wheels go there. Like I've just compared myself to other people for so long, I don't even realize I'm doing it. That's the scariest part about a stronghold, guys. When it's there, you don't even realize you have one. You have a veil, like you by definition don't know. So what you have to do on a very practical level, if you want to reclaim your mind, reclaim your house, you have to form new ruts. 
You have to use the word of God, scripture memory, meditation, prayer, and the church of God. Accountability, mentoring, your pastor to form new ruts. But friends, I want to balance that with the hope in this message. The Bible says that when we allow that Holy Spirit to come back in, you go from glory to glory. So this progression doesn't always end in judgment. It ends in a glorious relationship to a glorious relationship. And you're walking with God, stepping further and further and further into his presence, into intimacy, into glory until heaven. I mean, there's hope in this. And right now, just before we are sent out, I want to take a second and um, if there's a veil in your life, if there's a stronghold in your life, I want to be real with you. I do not want to put a Band-Aid on that right now and try to fix that and send you out. That is not the purpose of this time. If there's a stronghold in your life, you literally need to go to your pastor. You need to go to a chaplain, an awakened intern, somebody at the well. You need to talk to somebody life on life and say, this is what I'm dealing with. Can we pray through this together? But I do want, before you're sent out, to even give you a chance just to briefly take a first step and say, Lord, I I just want to like, yes, I want to say I'm hearing you. So God, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill our houses. Holy Spirit, we just invite you back for this campus, for the American church, for our house. Holy Spirit, I just pray you would sweep through the house of our life with a fresh wind that you'd remove the veil, God, that going from this place, you'd help us to put in discipline to form new ruts in our thought patterns. God, we want to see your glory on this campus. We want to see your glory in this campus. So may we steward what you've already revealed well.